0: Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. everyone. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Um, So healthcare humans, this week I have a tougher topic. I guess most of the topics I talk about aren't the easiest ones because I'm here trying to explore what it takes to stay human in healthcare. Um, And this one really cuts to the core of uh, what I'm talking about when I talk about staying human. Um, And that's the concept of Moral distress. So, right up front, as a bit of like a content warning, um, I'm going to be talking about moral distress. I'm going to be talking about some examples of what that looks like. I'm not going to be using any kind of explicit or graphic um, details. And um, though I'm going to talk about examples others have given me, I'm not going to actually say any specific identi- identifying features either. But still, I know this is a the act of thinking about moral distress may bring up the same for you and i think it's um really one of the ways that we can become quite traumatized in the work we do so just like hold yourself tenderly as you listen and if anything comes up and you're noticing you have a bit of reaction always always feel free to take a pause take a breath step away from the podcast and podcast and come back another time okay so um with that up top i do want to define what I mean by moral distress Um, and um, I have a couple definitions here that I found online. Um, One is for moral distress itself and it comes from a, a medical publication and it says moral distress occurs when one feels unable to take what they believe to be an ethically appropriate or right course of action including avoiding wrongdoing or harm because of institutionalized obstacles. I think that's a really well described definition. So that sense of feeling really powerless, there's something going on and you have a sense of morally what you want to do and you feel incapable of doing it. You feel forced into a decision you would never otherwise make, right? Um, I think that's a very clear definition um, another definition for the term moral injury which is a related term uh, this comes from um, a veterans affairs website and I think that is the origin of moral injury is um, how that is a piece of how PTSD um, comes out and those that you know have um you know are asked by their country to c- commit acts of violence against other people like in the military and so moral injury is the damage done on one's conscience or moral compass when that person perpetrates witnesses or fails to prevent acts that transgress one's own moral beliefs values or ethical codes of conduct so much richness in that definition as well and feels very related to the experiences that I've had as well as that I have, um, you know, heard and witnessed in others as well. And very much that this is connected to burnout. I've I've seen, I'm sure there's at least one headline that says, it's not burnout, it's moral distress that we're experiencing in healthcare. Because um, burnout sometimes, like we often will say, I'm burning myself out. Like the origins of the term burnout, um, I'm not a historian. I don't know if, but I just like, uh, when I think of how it's used culturally in conversation, it's often about the individual and often about, Hey, you're burning yourself out. You're working too hard. You're doing too much. Like it's a you problem. Um, and and so instead, I think a lot of people have found a lot of, um, what resonance, um, a lot of validation from instead pointing to moral distress, moral injury as what's really burning us out, what's really causing harm to us as humans in healthcare, because it's pointing to how the system and not just our individual healthcare systems, but that as a reflection of our wider society, how that of course impacts us um, versus it being an us thing like silly person, just take more vacation and then you won't feel burnt out. It's like, listen, if vacation would solve the problem, if I felt capable of taking vacation, like all these different aspects that are about the system's impact on us uh, and that being a more accurate description of why um, so many humans in healthcare are suffering and feeling dehumanized and and, um, leaving in one way or the other, leaving through dissociation cynicism, leaving through um, you know, more vacation time or like disability, sick time or like leaving the profession. Right. Um, and so I just like really honor those terms as really terms that have really helped me. And, um, what I wanted to do, um, with this podcast was really um think through what places in our work does moral distress show up for us and i didn't want it to be just my story i wanted it to be as many stories as we'd be willing to share so i posted a few places on social media this past weekend and i was i thought i'd get a couple honestly but i got like an outpouring like I don't know, at least 20, probably total, if not more, like people responding and just sharing so beautifully and openly about their experiences. Um, and I'm not going to be reading any individual examples on here because I I think it's more about collecting themes. And um, just so if you're listening to this and you shared an individual example, I wanna thank you personally. And I wanna offer you a space to just um, witness how painful those experiences that you shared with me are. Um, And I hope that you find um, something that will help uh, support you through the journey of of, um, dealing with the aftermath of moral distress in your own life um, from the experiences you shared. And so um, I wanted to share sort of some of the themes that came up that I was able to track out of what was shared with me. So one of the categories that people shared where they feel moral distress is where they witness suffering or even death that appears preventable and unnecessary. Um, it often will happen at times um, where they well, one example is um, several people sharing examples where there was a, a clash of values. So the, the person experiencing moral distress had a value about how they've, how they would want to be treated in that situation. You know, often sort of end of life or palliative discussions and witnessing that either other people, like other clinicians involved in the care or the family members of that patient really were pushing for more... Um interventional or you could say aggressive treatment, then the the person experiencing distress would want and so really viewing the suffering of that patient as unnecessary suffering um and in other cases, actually unnecessary preventable death, like an example was um um witnessing and having to be a a part of receiving um uh and attempting to perform resuscitation on um, a newborn that had passed away um, because the the parent had chosen to have that birth in a circumstance that involved more risk to both the person giving birth as well as to the newborn and so those being examples that they they found to to really ignite moral distress in them and so that that makes none of all of these make sense. And I just want to sort of share the themes of it. And then I do want to then share some ways that I have found that have helped ease the harm of moral distress on me. Okay. So I'm sharing the themes first, but, and then I'm going to get into sort of some strategies and some, um, approaches to moral distress that I hope can help folks who have experienced some of these themes, um, not to eliminate their moral distress or even say it was wrong for you to have moral distress at all. Of course, it wasn't wrong. You experienced it. And I know um, I have experienced personally and witnessed that we can um, mitigate the harm that moral distress can have on us and some of the strategies I'm going to talk about later. Okay. So that was the first theme. The first category was sort of unnecessary or preventable suffering or death. Another major source of moral distress that people pointed was um, really like administration in a healthcare organization, people in power over the person experiencing distress, really pressuring, um, like administering a lot of pressure for that individual to um, act in ways that were against their morals, including what honestly, like some of the descriptions were just like all out abuse, maybe not physical but certainly emotional, verbal like abuse that some of you healthcare humans have or are experiencing at the hands of administration in different organizations. Oh, and just witnessing how painful that is. And those are the kinds of circumstances when the system isn't just this amorphous system but literally this manager person or this collection of manager or leader people who are, are, are consistently pressuring you and delivering a message to you that is, is really um, um, telling you that you're doing a bad job unless you do it the way they want to do it, or basically pressuring you to act or practice medicine in ways that are against your values. And so that being a huge source of moral distress, of course, it makes total sense. Um, the third theme that I heard was apologizing or feeling pressure to do extra work. Um, because of an inequitable and really insufficient healthcare system. So You know, patients coming in distress because they're waiting so long to receive the care they really need that will alleviate their concern. And you as sort of a middle person in that pathway, whether like I know I'm a family physician, I certainly see people and are managing their pain as they await surgery, like that sort of thing. And especially like the sense that that makes you feel kind of culpable in it, because as a reminder, like moral distress is when you feel like you can't take an action for yourself. and So you feel somehow complicit or culpable in the system. And so many feeling like they need to apologize or like almost compensate for deficits in the system. So like wait times, funding disparities, which mean you're um, left uh, filling out the forms, applying for things that according to your values and my values, frankly, um, should be just covered. And now here you are having to do excess work on, on the system's behalf, right? Um, another common one was the physical condition. So um, uh, examples from emergency rooms or other places in hospital, especially kind of hallway medicine, like seeing seeing patients in conditions that you would never plan for if someone like came to you at the start of the day and say okay where would you like to see patients stay? you wouldn't be like a crowded hallway please like nobody would and um how that starts to feel personal and it feels as if you have to apologize or that you're somehow representing the horrific conditions that you're working in around you and that's causing you moral distress then as a result right and then the last one um the theme i heard was like ignoring bodily needs so like um you know, feeling pressure to never call in sick. And in fact, um, feeling so much pressure to call in sick that you don't call in sick and you work sick many days um, until you drop in some of your cases, really like having significant health um, sort of impacts from that and that feeling like your be- your morals are being distressed by the notion that you can't, you have to choose between your own health and work right? Otherwise, there's no one there and that will be on you. Like that whole thing, even um, whether it's calling in sick or it's like taking a bathroom break, right? It can It can really get to that point. And so I want to, again, just offer a loving witness to all of those stories that were contained in those themes. And anyone who feels actually like I haven't quite caught, captured what you shared with me, um, I guess a... Another one I didn't quite mention here is stuff about finances and people feeling like their values are compromised in what they can or can't say received um, compensation for or feeling like they don't deserve in some ways the compensation that they're receiving or then charge having to charge patients directly and like that. I know that's something I've had to sort of sort through in terms of my own values. Um, and this is so much of the reason that people feel completely burnt out. They feel completely um distressed and harmed and at this point probably having, you know, trauma um, stored in their bodies from all the times that they feel like they have been culpable and complicit in a system that really um, is letting patients and providers down. And so like I said, I want to offer you what has helped me to reduce the harm of moral distress, harm reduction, not prevention, not curing, um because I do think, after a lot of sort of research and training and and reflecting for myself, moral distress is a part of being a human in this world who is awake and wants to help ease the pain of others. Honestly, because the world that we live in involves unjust things. The world that we live in involves people really hurting people, exploiting people, um, acting out of their survival brains in ways and really, we witness the lengths that humans will go to preserve their own survival or status and power, right? And that that causes just a boatload of harm on other people. And so moral distress is something to be planned for. Um, I do think we can mitigate the short and long-term impacts um, by expecting moral distress to come up and creating supports and strategies to address it as it comes up. And I, I am speaking on an individual level, not because I think it should be dealt with only on an individual level, but because we know we are in an in unjust system. We know our system is failing us. And so if we wait till our system becomes just, we will not survive. And so this is like an in the trenches. This is not, I hope no one hears this as sort of the wellness module that leadership releases instead of just. You know covering sick time i am a peer to you and um i hope in leadership positions that i hold that i can do more than just tell my staff to listen to this podcast like i would also be looking at structural ways to mitigate moral distress of course but um i do think there are things we can do individually and collectively even while our system has yet not become just i think it i i I gain a lot of what i have learned from social justice spaces where people are like fighting the giants of our times like climate justice racial justice and i think certainly healthcare justice is those things right and the work we have to do if we want our system to change does involve us taking care of ourselves and we cannot if we wait for the system to change, um, we won't be around to witness a change. That's just what I see to be true. So I just want to put that in there and really name that as well. Um, yeah. And so the reason that I also think moral distress isn't, it's not that it's a good thing, but it is something we want to plan for and not try and prevent altogether is the cost that comes with trying to prevent moral distress is cutting yourself off from your sense of morality. Because we can't change the whole world immediately, sadly. Wish, I mean, listen, if that was an option, let's do that. Who's got the button to do that, right? But we don't. So we know we live in a world where humans are cruel to each other and there is a dark side to humanity, you could say, right? Um, A harmful side to us humans living with each other. And so if, if we wanna survive without ever feeling distress or feeling like our values and morals are challenged, Um, The ways we would do that is by dissociating from our humanity and from our values completely. And so we will become very cynical. We will become depersonalized. I mean, that is, I think, what happens when people reach that kind of state of burnout where they just don't feel anything about, don't care anymore about what they do. That's a really protective thing that your body and brain are doing if you are in that state, by the way. The, The act of considering reconnecting with your values may actually feel quite threatening. And I'm not here to suggest... You get to decide what you do with your body and brain and just know that your nervous system's really protecting you if you're not sure what your values are. Um, And then the other, but the other way that can go that I certainly see a lot of is um, uh, like just pure denial. So um, dissociating from your morals enough that you take on the system's morals as your own. And so now you are, you know, defending and justifying the system as it is. You know, so say you, like me, have um, a value that includes um, seeing the impact of white supremacy on society and that racism is real and um, the harm that has come from the idea of white supremacy and how just the wide reaching impact that has on our society. And then I witness that there are others in our society that think that that is fine and that is great. And actually they are like literally white supremacists. And so um, to me, I would rather feel the moral distress of, ah, am I culpable in a society that includes white supremacists? Oh my gosh, was that comment racist? Or how am I working through and undoing my internalized forms of whiteness and oppression? Like I would rather experience that distress than become a white supremacist. <laughs> that seems very dramatic, but I mean it and or or become like I just can't care about any of it. that's that's where I put my stake in the ground. So that's where that's my pitch that moral distress could be a good thing. I don't mean it that it's good. it feels horrible, but I I just mean the alternatives to me feel worse. Um I recently saw a film uh it's an amazing film. I strongly recommend everybody watch it. It's called Women Talking, directed, written by Sarah Pauley, Canadian film. Um and uh the the I won't get into the whole plot of the film, but it's it's a group of women trying to decide what to do in, in relationship to huge harm that's come to them from their community. And they have these three options. They have the leave, the community option, they have the stay and fight option, and they have the do nothing option, the do nothing and just forgive the people who have just like consistently harmed them, right? And what I'm saying is moral distress, it um really uh happens, well, if you're having moral distress, you are being called to do one of the stay and fight or leave ones you have to do undo yourself. You have to disconnect from yourself if you're going to stick with the do nothing option. Right. And I'm not here for that either. I'm here to rehumanize healthcare. So if you're listening, you want to come with me, let's do this together. And that will include us experiencing moral distress. Okay. I have pitched moral distress enough now. So, um, yes what i really want to say now about the different strategies i'm about to offer you and i am recognizing we are at 20 minutes already so this is definitely going to be a multi-part thing um uh the first part i want to talk about basically okay how do i want to say this so moral distress causes harm to us when we feel like our moral we are doing something against our morality that causes a harm to us the way we can mitigate a harm becoming an, a, a longer term trauma um, can be if we experience a harm and then um, have that harm dealt with in a way that is loving and kind. So when people experience a harm, like some horrible tragedy or some harm to their physical um, mental emotional selves, and instead of being um, treated with care, they instead are left feeling helpless and alone, those appear to be major factors that then lead the body to processing that harm as trauma. And so the strategies I'm gonna talk to you about are how to do the opposite, how to not be left feeling helpless or alone, how instead we can think of strategies that allow us to feel empowered and connected. That those are the ways that we can have moral distress rise up in us and say, "Oh gosh, here it goes again. Am I complicit? Something's wrong. I feel trapped. What's happening?" And and notice the ways that we can empower ourselves and each other and connect to each other, so that it doesn't become stuck in us like a trauma. Okay. So, the the first big distinction that I think will make a huge difference to anyone who is ex- who feels like you're experience, well, who is experiencing moral distress every day in your job, is distinguishing between socialized and personal moral distress. So I think there is um, a difference between those two. And what I mean is like, so personal moral distress is when you feel that your personal individual human values are, are, are being violated, right? Versus if instead what you're feeling is um, actually that you're violating society's values and instead of your own, right? Um, I think a lot of times we can witness great suffering, even including great injustice in the world but that doesn't have to cause moral distress on top of all of the pain of witnessing suffering. If we recognize and take ownership of only what's in our locus of control, okay? So sometimes, well, many, many times, I, on a daily basis, I witness injustice. I witness horrible things happening. That doesn't have to violate my sense of morality if I don't take responsibility beyond what is mine to, be, to take responsibility for, right? Then if, so say I witness something horrible, I double check if there's anything I can do to help it, I do what I can, um, and then the thing still happens anyway, or there's a further follow because there's so much in life that's beyond our control, right, outside of our locus control. I don't actually have to experience moral distress in that case. I can experience great, you know, simple grief, you know, um, of the witnessing the suffering and injustices of the world, but it's not my fault. And that's what's interesting about moral distress and why I say the socialized piece. I think we are socialized to take responsibility for things that are not our responsibility. And that can cause so much. Additional suffering on top of the like solid enough suffering of just witnessing the pain of living in the world. Okay, you can think of it as simple versus complicated grief. Simple grief is like, oh man, I miss that person and they're gone. I miss them so much. It hurts to miss them so much. But complicated grief is like where I miss them and I think it's somehow my fault that they've died, or I miss them but not completely because actually they weren't that nice to me, right? Like, there's all those elements in some ways moral distress is exactly that complicated grief not only am i grieving that i i'm witnessing another person's suffering but i think i'm culpable and complicit and i think it's my and at least partially my fault we can eliminate a lot of that moral distress please that which is like grief plus guilt and shame you know that guilt and shame a lot of times is not necessary I'm not saying it's like, silly you, why did you have guilt and shame? No, it's, it's socialized into us to feel guilt and shame for things that are not our fault, are not our responsibility, right? So moral distress, you could say, really is when we feel guilt or shame about the, the suffering we see. So we see a patient who is suffering because of the way our system is set up not to help them, and we feel culpable, and therefore we feel guilt, the emotions we feel are guilt and shame we can't always trust that that's like genuine guilt and guilt in the sense of it's actually that you've done anything wrong. Anything that you're in any way like culpable, complicit in this particular person's suffering that you have caused any of it. And yet it comes up again and again in ways that really drag us down and, and, um, rob us of our sense of power, rob us of our sense of valuing what we're actually doing in our work, you know? So, the real question becomes am i feeling moral if i'm feeling moral distress so that the sensation however it feels in our bodies you're like i feel moral distress about this i feel that i'm forced or trapped into doing something that is against my morals is it personal genuine moral distress based on my values and morals or is it socialized moral distress where i've been conditioned to feel guilt or shame about something that's either a normal human trait or something completely out of my control Right. This is important to make the distinction of not only so that we feel better, so, but then that we can do better, we can change our actions as well. If we own too much, like every time we feel the grief about the state of the world, if we also blame ourselves for it and then don't take action on that blame, that's when we betray ourselves. That's when we lose trust in ourselves. That's when we detach and dissociate from our sense of morality as a self-protection mechanism. Like that's when burnout, depression, and all of that happens. That's what I'm talking about here. So I want to give you some examples of places where I still feel moral distress, and then other places where I used to feel moral distress, complicated grief, you could say, and now I feel simple grief. I still feel distress. I still, it still has an, an emotional impact on me that I process, but I don't feel trapped into feeling complicit. Um, in a, and, and therefore, it is an easier burden to carry and it doesn't call me to do anything different in my actions, okay? So some examples where I still am feeling moral distress, um, basically all these examples are places in my practice where I'm still like figuring out what my morals are and I'm not sure which way to go with them. And so I'm sort of in the gray, mucky nuance part. One is like opioids. I just wrote, I just wrote the word opioids because it's like, ah, you know, opioid crisis and here's this person in front of me and they are in pain and they're already on opioids or I've tried other things and the next thing is opioids and um, am I doing them more harm than good if I have a contract and like all these pieces I still have some distress about that's really about like I'm not sure which way is causing more harm and I'm and I'm still many times feeling Um, I feel guilty. Ooh, should I have encouraged this person more to come down? Should I stop prescribing to this person? Am I actually depriving people of pain relief by not doing? Like there's so many different arguments out there that, uh, that are like moral arguments about like opioids and the impact of society on like the opioids have had. And I am not clear yet. And so I have, it's really like this internal conflict, this distress of like, which way should I go? And so I just hold myself through this um, I will talk um in the next segment about um the different strategies I actually use to reduce it, right, but I just want to talk in this one about like the example, so that's one example um. The next example is like conversations about weight and weight loss um if you heard um several months ago at this point i had a conversation with an amazing healthcare human who was talking about weight stigma fat phobia and how some of the ways that we um, as clinicians have been trained to recommend weight loss do not necessarily bear out as evidence-based helpful things and actually could be net harm to patients. And yet I have patients coming to me who want to have weight loss discussions. What do I do? How do I center this patient's goals and experience while also providing this context and not alienating the patient? And so I'm still like working through it. I haven't like sort of figured it out, but I do feel distressed about it. I feel like ah, I want to do right by this person, you know? And I am aware that part of the issue is like the system has sort of set us all up. Like, I mean, the system that says that People have to be a certain weight or under or else they're not good people or not like there's so many things that are coming into that room that make that distressing and tricky, you know. Um, another example is supporting both members of an abusive relationship and the sort of ethical, moral dilemmas that come up with that. I feel sometimes my values are really challenged and I have to think that through, um, especially because, again, like our society and our systems are not set up to, um, well, um support conditions of people easily leaving an abusive relationship i mean all of the different ways that society like um i'm thinking of a heterosexual couple and women and you know all the ways they we women are disadvantaged so that it is harder for them to leave and they can be financially in a challenging place if they leave the legal system da, 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 right so that's an area so those are just some examples where i feel that moral distress i am um, I want to give you some examples of where I used to feel moral distress, where I felt like I was complicit or having to apologize or even defend portions of our healthcare system, where I felt pressured to violate my values because of the system and that I don't anymore. Um, Not because I think I'm a good or better person for doing this, but I just want to offer it that it's possible for these to not um, induce moral distress in you if that's something you desire, if that's something that would be um, meaningful to you. So um, the first one is apologizing for the weights. In any way, defending or apologizing for our healthcare system as it is. I am one of, I don't know, is it millions? Like I am one of many, 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 many areas of my healthcare system. And um, I have made a conscious decision to only apologize for a weight that I personally um, have inflicted upon a person. And even then, only if I really, when I think about my values, I'm like, you know what, that did fall through the cracks, you know what? I was, I don't know, withholding, filling out that form because I don't like that person or I've never done that, but that would be interesting. You know, like whatever it is. I don't even apologize anymore for, say, they wait 30 minutes to see me. I thank them for their patience when they do. Like I'm very cautious and cognizant of not apologizing or anyways, kind of defending or justifying our healthcare system. Our healthcare system is a mess. And so that's actually what I say to patients. I I say it with like, great compassion and connection with my patients. I'm like, so they're like, how can it be that it's going to be another three months? And I'm like, I hear you. I wish it was sooner too. It's so hard and horrible for you and for so many people that there aren't enough surgeons. I don't, And I'm not throwing the surgeon under the bus, right? It's like, you're right. Our system is not designed for the amount of demand it has in it right now. You're right. I'm with you. I hear you. It's horrible. And um, I don't feel moral distress in those cases because I don't, I feel like I am doing what I can within my capacity to not contribute to the wait time. So I, I, I have worked very hard to make my personal, say, like paperwork and task work as efficient as I can. And places where there still is a weight, I hold myself with compassion. I don't beat myself up, you know, but I would own that as like something that I've contributed to the wait time. But that's why I worked very hard to like get stuff done in the room with the patient, right? Like I'm like, I say that to them. I'm like, I'm typing this referral note right in front of you so that I don't further contribute to your wait time because you probably will have one, you know? And so I no longer feel moral distress about that. I feel distress emotional distress. I think it's a tragedy that our system is so under-resourced and I can still feel quite angry and sad about it, but it's not inside of me, it's outside of me. And that makes all the difference. I have no guilt. I have no shame because it's not mine. I am one person and I own what is mine and the rest I can witness and have grief about, but it's not mine, you know? Um, Another thing that goes along with it is defending nonsense policies. Like, I don't know, whatever policies out there, I no longer try and like justify or defend it. And um, as a piece of that is I don't follow policies that I don't agree with morally anymore. Like it may say in some policy I'm supposed to always see patients of a certain condition with a certain frequency or something, you know, guidelines, uh, got a document A, B, C, D every single time. I don't follow any of those if they don't also serve me and my patient. As a result, I still probably follow like a chunk of them, but like, it's not a circle. It's certainly a Venn diagram, like all the recommendations out there and what I actually do. I now only do, I mean, except for times I am not aware of it, but like my focus now is doing the work that I want to do, that my patient wants to do. We do that work together. And i'm no longer defending like well the guidelines say you have to do this and that before i can do the other thing it's like you want to do the third thing that's what's accessible to you it's on the menu for me to offer you we're doing that period like i i know shenanigans about these things as best as i can so freeing um as well um a piece of that is not pressuring my patients to do things they don't want to do certainly that's like that patient-centered, empowering patient care, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so same with like, uh, I, I guess those are the main ones I came up with. Sometimes forms. Sometimes forms is still an area of moral distress, though, because I kind of believe that we should not have to do forms. <laughs> so that one, I guess, is still like on the list. So those are some ones I thought of. Um, and so when I when I have... Um, when I experience what used to be moral distress, I now experience it with one less layer of emotional pain. I still experience a lot of emotional pain about how inequitable our system is, all the harm that's coming to it. I see patients and they can't get into the right treatments, right? Like I, I see patients and they're, they've been waiting for months. I see them and I, I know I can only offer A of care and they need A to Z of care. I no longer experience moral distress about that because I am very clear about what I can and can't do. And I value that greatly. And I own that. And I am sort of proud and confident in that. And the rest I can process in a more clean way because it is outside of me. I am not culpable for it. So that will include times where I feel pressured by some outside thing to do something in a way that I don't feel is within my values to do. To the best of my capacity, day to day, I don't do those things anymore. That doesn't mean there's certainly days where I still do it. And then my moral distress tells me, oops, I'm out. I'm out of alignment with my values. Thank you, moral distress in that case. And then I invite myself to come back to really focusing in on the work I know I'm doing and value doing, even if there is pressure from the outside, disparaging comments, even abuse from the outside saying that I shouldn't, that is still extremely distressing. But the line it doesn't cross is it doesn't cross into me violating my morals. And um, that feels better. Always reminding myself I have power, I have choices, and I can connect with others to do it. So um It is now 38 minutes in, and I'm realizing this is going to be multi-part. So this first part really is just talking, I guess, about um, what's possible to help tease apart um, what is moral distress versus what we've been socialized to think is our fault when it's not, right? So actually to say that part a bit more explicitly, so... um, if I, in my value system, set a boundary with a patient and they are mad at me, I don't experience that as moral distress and thinking, oh, no, I can't win. I'm a bad doctor. Because because I, cause that. So what it used to be is I'm a bad doctor either way. Right? I'm either a bad doctor because I chose a clinical course of treatment that I don't agree with, or I was also a bad doctor if a patient was angry with me. But I no longer think... Because I used, I was socialized to think I wasn't allowed for anyone to ever be angry at an action I took. And so if someone was angry at an action I took, that equated to me being a bad person. That's like a very deeply socialized thing. into me, we call that people pleasing, right? Talk about that in another episode. So now a good doctor can have patients that are mad or happy with them. The emotions of other people are not what defines my value, my morals anymore. And so... It's no longer causes moral distress for me. I can no longer feel pressured by the potential of a patient being angry with me to choose something I don't want to choose. I now focus in on, okay, what are the options that no matter which of these options I would feel good about, that they are within my values, they are something I really genuinely believe in and offer, and that's what I offer the patient. And the patient chooses from those, or they're mad and they leave. And I can still not feel any moral distress about it because I haven't felt pressured to to in a socialized I know that when I felt guilty before, I know that when I still feel somewhat guilty for someone being angry, that's a socialized value that I can make other people mad at me. That's not a real value that I actually wanna hold because it's not realistic. We don't control other people's emotions. We just don't, right? Um, and so those are the other ones to notice where I mean, the whole thing of thinking we have to apologize on behalf of a system, that's us being socialized into thinking we are responsible for something that we're absolutely not responsible for. Like we're constantly kind of gaslit by a system being like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you work 26 hours a day as if it's our fault? Same with like when the system's like, oh, but patients really need you to stay 50 hours after, otherwise they won't be seen. Like that's the system. So if we believe the system, then we're where that's like that socialized value, where it's like, it's more important to make leadership happy and be a good team player than it is to actually prioritize our own well-being. These are not easy things to do, right? To take back our power and actually center our own values. None of this is easy. That's why it's going to be a multi-part podcast and beyond. Like, it's not just the podcast that you're done. But I do want to describe that it's possible. Because when you really know and own your own values, then you do call in sick. That's another one I didn't actually put on the list, but I still feel socialized moral distress about calling in sick because I still have socialized conditioning inside of me that feels guilty if I am sick because of what that means for another person. But it is less. And so instead, I can feel sad about someone else maybe having a delay in care. I can feel, frankly, angry at the system for not having it set up that I can't, that if I am sick, my patients suffer. That's not a good system. I think that a lot now. And so, but all of those emotions are like outside of me, but inside of me, I know I am not guilty. I am not guilty of a crime for being sick. I'm not guilty of a crime for canceling because someone in my family needs to go to the hospital. I am not guilty of violating my own values. I'm actually guilty of violating my own values if I go to work sick, for me personally, If I if I, you know, push myself to work in circumstances that I know I really don't have mental capacity to do so. So I've taken that back and I'm in more sort of alignment and integrity with my own values by calling in sick when I need to. And yeah, that means the healthcare system is probably going to have some feelings about it out there. If anything, i that's a good thing in my opinion, because the more that we stop being socialized to be band-aids over these gaping holes in our system i don't know it's one of the ways i think that the healthcare system will then have to make a change maybe maybe not but all i know is at the end of the day the only way i can show up and value the good work i do and actually keep showing up to work is to be integrity with my values and have moral distress be an actual like useful moral compass for to for me to examine my values and not to be totally destroyed by all these socialized values of making everyone else happy, always following what the boss says, working yourself to the bone and abandoning your own needs. No. Those don't get to be on the table anymore. So, that is my introductory episode to moral distress. This will have I think a total of four parts. My goodness! But the next one I want to talk about how to actually process the distress, both moral distress, but also um, more than moral distress. Like, uh, like I said, the simple grief. How do I like, process those emotions? I've I have other podcasts about it, but I want to kind of do a refresher and frame it using this moral distress framework of like what can help on a practical, tangible level to help process the emotions and involved in experiencing uh, moral distress so that you mitigate the harm of it through connection and empowerment. And then the third part is going to be how to start taking more aligned action, how to start taking action that is more in integrity with our personal values. And then the fourth part is going to be if you're not sure what your personal values are, I want to give you some tools and reflective structures that you could use to help discover what your personal values might be because they are so helpful as a guidepost through this whole thing so that's what to look forward to over the next several weeks if this has resonated with you as well i do want to again thank so much those of you that shared your stories i hope even in explaining some of my examples you can see a way that some of the moral distress you're experiencing may be actually your morals calling you to take more aligned action after processing emotions and taking care of yourself. And the others of you may may actually discover, oh, no, the thing that I'm experiencing is moral distress has actually been socialized into me. It's actually me taking responsibility of things that aren't mine and are violating values that aren't mine, like, you know, making the ministry of health happy or whatever. <laughs> I hope that was helpful to hear those examples. And um, yeah, i just Holding you all in my heart and in my mind as we go through this next week together. This stuff isn't easy. Humaning with other humans is real rough out there, I think always and certainly now. And um, I'm rooting for you. I'm with you and I see you. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hey there, healthcare humans. I wanna invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox, where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.